Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode number 54 of the Bible Reading Podcast. Today, our big Bible question is, how is Jesus our lawyer, and why is that good news? So happy Lord's Day, everybody. Today's podcast will be kind of short and hopefully sweet as we discuss the powerful truth that Jesus is our advocate or our lawyer. We will be reading in Exodus 6, Job 23, Luke 9, and 1 Corinthians 10 today. I'd like to start by giving a shout out to Lamar, thank you Lamar, who gave a very encouraging review for us on iTunes. He says, neither bland nor monotonous, three things going on here. First, it's a Bible reading podcast, just as titled. The readings are pleasant and joined with interesting and often very practical discussion. If you're looking for a Bible reading plan, Chase follows one that will take you through the Bible in a year, also repeating important books. If you're like me and have repeatedly fallen off yearly reading plans, so have I, Lamar, but still feel compelled to read, Pick a chapter out of the day's reading plan, notably the focus passage from the notes, and read it before listening, and then you're cracking a book as well as getting your volume of scripture input daily. Primarily, this is a daily reading podcast. You typically don't have to backtrack to benefit as there are a few discussions that continue day to day, and most critical scripture passages will get repeated, though I suspect the discussion will remain fresh. That's the hope. Chase attempts and pleasantly achieves a dramatic and fun reading of Scripture and models a good way to read Scripture to your children and yet does not offend this listener's sense of maturity. There is good topical discussion surrounding daily focus passages that is approached with solid biblical theology, but it's not a theology podcast that wanders into the weeds. It's a good listen to go along with a great read. Thank you, Lamar. It's great to hear from you, brother, and that is really, really, really an encouraging review. And folks, if you want to do the same thing, just go on over to uh, Apple Podcasts or iTunes and leave a review for the Bible Reading Podcast. Check out our website, BibleReadingPodcast.com. Follow us on Facebook. Just search for Bible Reading Podcast. And if you'll check uh, our entry from yesterday, you will find that there are lots of um, friendly neighborhood atheists and uh, people who hate religion commenting on the post that I made yesterday and saying all sorts of negative things. And one of them even helpfully left uh, an incredibly negative review of the show on our Facebook page. And if you want to counteract that, I don't mean argue with them. I mean leave a positive review instead. That would be great. I don't spend a lot of time arguing with people who hate religion. Uh, I try to address them sometimes, pray for them, bless them. But uh, I don't know that it's really helpful just to get into a lot of battles online, so I try to avoid it, but I do want to share truth, and uh, we're doing that, I hope, with this podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting. Thank you for checking out our website, BibleReadingPodcast.com. Today's focus passage comes from the Job passage, specifically verses 1 through 7 of chapter 23, where Job wishes that he could face God in a courtroom and expresses the hope that he might be found innocent of the kind of sin that would cause the calamities that's happened to him if only a fully righteous advocate or lawyer could be found to plead with God on Job's behalf. 
Now, since we're going to use the word a lot today, as a reminder, an advocate is a person who speaks or writes in support or defense of another person. Job 23.7 says this, An upright man could reason with God, and I would escape from my judge forever. Now, that echoes Job's earlier cry for a lawyer, advocate, who might intercede with God on his behalf from Job chapter 16, verse 18, where he said, Earth, do not cover my blood. May my cry for help find no resting place. Even now, my witness is in heaven, and my advocate is in the heights. My friends scoff at me as I weep before God. I wish that someone might argue for a man with God, just as anyone would for a friend. So Job realizes here that having some sort of upright, righteous, holy lawyer that had access to heaven would be an incredible help to him. Perhaps such an advocate could speak to God on Job's behalf and intercede for him. Now, the wonderful news for us in this new covenant era is that Jesus has become the very advocate that Job wished for, really even far beyond his wildest dreams. Check out this amazing truth from 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. Our great trouble is that our lives have missed God's mark of perfection. We've fallen short of his holiness in every way possible, and our sins have earned us judgment, and the penalty is death. That's terrifying because the Bible teaches us in multiple places that at the end of our lives and at the end of the world, all humans will face judgment in God's courtroom. And we already know our plea. We're guilty. The just judge has all of the evidence needed to convict us and sentence us to death. However, the judge is also merciful and he has provided an advocate for us. That advocate is Jesus. And not only does Jesus represent those who are his in the Father's courtroom, he is also the one who pays the penalty for their sin in full to the court's utter satisfaction. No wonder the Bible calls this the good news. So I'll close this short reflection with some fantastic and encouraging words from our friend Charles Spurgeon about the joyful news of Jesus, our advocate. He says, if any man sin, we have an advocate. Yes, though we sin, we have him still. John does not say if any man sin, he has forfeited his advocate, but we have an advocate, sinners though we are. All the sin that a believer ever did or can be allowed to commit cannot destroy his interest in the Lord Jesus Christ as his advocate. The name here given to our Lord is suggestive. Jesus. Jesus means Yahweh saves. Ah, then he is an advocate such as we need, for Jesus is the name of one whose business and delight it is to save. They shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. His sweetest name implies his success. Next, it is Jesus Christ, Christos, the Anointed One. This shows his authority to plead. The Christ has a right to plead, for he is the Christ, the Father's own appointed advocate and elected priest. If he were of 
our choosing, he might fail. But if God has laid help upon one that is mighty, we may safely lay our trouble where God has laid his help. He is Christ, and therefore authorized. He is Christ, and therefore qualified, for the anointing has fully fitted him for his work. He can plead so as to move the heart of God and prevail. What words of tenderness, what sentences of persuasion will the anointed use when he stands up to plead for me? One more letter of his name remains. Jesus Christ the righteous. This is not only his character, but his plea. It is his character, and if the righteous one is my advocate, then my cause is good or he would not have espoused it. It is his plea, for he meets the charge of unrighteousness against me by the plea that he himself is righteous. He declares himself my substitute and puts his obedience on to my account. My soul, you have a friend well fitted to be your advocate. He cannot help but succeed. Leave yourself entirely in his hands. That is fantastic news and tremendous advice from Brother Spurgeon. Let's go on to our Bible passages of the day. Exodus chapter 6 verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. But the Lord replied to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of a strong hand, he will let them go, and because of a strong hand, he will drive them from his land. Then God spoke to Moses, telling him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but I was not known to them by my name, the Lord, or Yahweh. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land they lived in as aliens. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are forcing to work as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore tell the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians and rescue you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. You will know that I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. I am Yahweh. Moses told this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to them because of their broken spirit and hard labor. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Go and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go from his land. But Moses said in the Lord's presence, If the Israelites will not listen to me, then how will Pharaoh listen to me, since I am such a poor speaker? Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them commands concerning both the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the Israelites out of the land of Egypt. These are the heads of their father's families, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanak and Palu, Hezron and Carmi. These are the clans of Reuben, the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shal, the son of a Canaanite woman. These are the clans of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi, according to their family records, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. Levi lived 137 years. The sons of Gershon, Libni and Shemai by their clans. The sons of Kohath, Amram, Ishar, Hebron, and Utziel. Kohath lived 133 years. The sons of Merari, 
Machli, and Mushi. These are the clans of the Levites, according to their family records. Amram married his father's sister, Jochebed, and she bore him Aaron and Moses. Amram lived 137 years. The sons of Itshar, Korah, Nepheg, and Zikri. The sons of Utziel, Mishael, Elzaphan, and Sithri. Aaron married Elishabah, daughter of Aminadab and sister of Nashon. She bore him Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. The sons of Korah, Asir, Elkanah, and Abiasaph. These are the clans of the Korahites. Aaron's son Eleazar married one of the daughters of Pudiel, and she bore him Phineas. These are the heads of the Levite families by their clans. It was this Aaron and Moses whom the Lord told, Bring the Israelites out of the land of Egypt according to their military divisions. Moses and Aaron were the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, in order to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. The day the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I am telling you. But Moses replied in the Lord's presence, Since I am such a poor speaker, how will Pharaoh listen to me? Job chapter 23 verse 1. Then Job answered, Today also my complaint is bitter. His hand is heavy despite my groaning. If only I knew how to find him so that I could go to his throne, I would plead my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would learn how he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he prosecute me forcefully? No, he would certainly pay attention to me. Then an upright man could reason with him, and I would escape from my judge forever. If I go east, he is not there, and if I go west, I cannot perceive him. When he is at work in the north, I, don't, I can't see him. When he turns south, I cannot find him. Yet he knows the way I have taken. When he has tested me, I will emerge as pure gold." My feet have followed in his tracks. I have kept to his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the commands from his lips. I have treasured the words from his mouth more than my daily food. But he is unchangeable. Who can oppose him? He does what he desires. He will certainly accomplish what he has decreed for me. And he has many more things like these in mind. Therefore... I am terrified of his presence. When I consider this, I am afraid of him. God has made my heart faint. The Almighty has terrified me. Yet I am not destroyed by the darkness, by the thick darkness that covers my face. Luke chapter 9 verse 1. Summoning the twelve, Jesus gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. Then he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Take nothing for the road, he told them. No staff, no traveling bag, no bread, no money, and don't take an extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. If they do not welcome you when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and traveled from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing everywhere. Herod the Tetrarch heard about everything that was going on. He was perplexed because some said that John had been raised from the dead. Some said that Elijah had appeared and others that one of the ancient prophets had arisen. I beheaded John, Herod said, but who is this I hear such things about? 
and he wanted to see him. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus all that they had done. He took them along and withdrew privately to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds found out, they followed him, and he welcomed them, spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and healed those who needed healing. Late in the day, the twelve approached and said to him, Send the crowd away so that they can go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find food and lodging because we're in a deserted place here. You give them something to eat, he told them. We have no more than five loaves and two fish, they said, unless we go and buy food for all these people, for about 5,000 men were there. Then he told his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. They did what he said and had them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them. He kept giving them to the disciples to set before the crowd. Everyone ate and was filled. They picked up twelve baskets of leftover pieces. While he was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowd say that I am? They answered, John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others that one of the ancient prophets has come back. But you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. But he strictly warned and instructed them to tell this to no one, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and be raised the third day. Then he said to them all, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and that of the Father and the holy angels. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. About eight days after this conversation, he took along Peter and James and John and went up to the mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Peter and those with him were in a deep sleep, and when they became fully awake, they saw his glory in the two men who were standing with him. As the two men were departing from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us set up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Not really knowing what he was saying. While he was saying this, a cloud appeared and overshadowed them. They became afraid as they entered the cloud. Then a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, the chosen one. Listen to him. After the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. They kept silent and at that time told no one what they had seen. The next day when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. Just then a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son because he is my only child. A spirit seizes him. Suddenly he shrieks and it throws him into convulsions until he foams at the mouth, severely bruising him. It scarcely ever leaves him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. Jesus replied, You unbelieving and perverse generation, how long will I be with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. 
As the boy was still approaching, the demon knocked him down and threw him into severe convulsions, but Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father, and they were all astonished at the greatness of God. While everyone was amazed at all the things he was doing, he told his disciples, Let these words sink in. The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand this statement. It was concealed from them so that they could not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. An argument started among them about who was the greatest of them, but Jesus, knowing their inner thoughts, took a little child and had him stand next to him. He told them, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes him who sent me. For whoever is least among you, this one is great. John responded, Master, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow us. Don't stop him, Jesus told him, because whoever is not against you is for you. When the days were coming to a close for him to be taken up, he determined to journey to Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead of himself, and on the way they entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him, but they did not welcome him because he determined to journey to Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. As they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus told him, Foxes have dens, and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. Lord, he said, First let me go bury my father. But he told him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 Now I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, since they were struck down in the wilderness." Now these things took place as examples for us so that we will not desire evil things as they did. Don't become idolaters as some of them were, as it was written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to party. Let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in a single day 23,000 people died. Let us not test Christ as some of them did and were destroyed by snakes, and don't complain as some of them did and were killed by the destroyer. These things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. 
But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. So then, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I'm speaking to you as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I'm saying. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread. We who are many are one body, since all of us share the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? What am I saying then, that food sacrificed to idols is anything, or that even an idol is anything? No, but I do say that what they sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot share the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or are we provoking the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. Eat everything that is sold in the meat market without raising questions for the sake of conscience, since the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. If any of the unbelievers invite you over and you want to go, eat everything that's set before you without raising questions for the sake of conscience. But if someone says to you, this is food from a sacrifice, don't eat it, out of consideration for the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I don't mean your own conscience, but the other person's, for why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? If I partake with thanksgiving, why am I criticized because of something for which I give thanks? So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks, or the church of God, just as I try also to please everyone in everything, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many, so that they may be saved. Amen. And may we have that biblical attitude of Paul, that we seek the benefit of many, so that they may be saved. Good day to you, brothers and sisters, and Godspeed.